Hey, we are currently in the middle of a sermon series entitled After Life. And we're talking about the life that comes after this life. It's interesting that a lot of Christians out there are obsessed with the end times. But God says, no, 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 I want your obsession to be with the end place. The place that you were going that I am personally preparing for those who believe. A little place called heaven. So we're talking about heaven. Getting kind of excited. I hope that you are enjoying it thus far. Got some fun thoughts and exciting things to share with you this morning. An 85-year-old couple who had been married for over 60 years, well, they tragically passed away one afternoon in an accident. St. Peter was there at the pearly gates to welcome both of them at the exact same time, and he said, you know what? You guys have been so faithful over the years, I'm going to give you a personal tour of heaven. First, he showed them this beautiful mansion, an incredible jacuzzi tub, theater room, pool in the back. It was the best house this man had ever seen. And he looked at Peter and he said, oh, great. How much is this going to cost? And Peter replied by saying, you don't get it. This is heaven. It's free. The house sat on a beautiful golf course. So Peter then gave the couple a tour of the course. He told the old man he could play on this course any time he wanted. And every couple days, God shook it up a little bit and created several new holes on the course. The man looked at him and said, great. How much are the green fees going to cost? Peter again said, sir, I just don't think you get it. This is, this is heaven. It's free. Plus, no reservations, no tea times. You just show up whenever you want. Finally, Peter took the couple to the clubhouse, showed them the most amazing buffet you've ever seen. Food from all over the world prepared to perfection. And Peter said, you can come here anytime you would like. Oh, great, the man said. Where's the low-fat, no-fat, no-carb, gluten-free table? Peter said, sir, I just... I just don't think you're getting it. This is heaven. Not only do you not have to pay for these things, you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. At this, the man lost it. He took off his cap. He threw it to the ground. He erupted in this angry tirade. Peter tried to calm down and said, sir, sir, it's heaven. What's the problem? Why are you so upset? The old man looked right at his wife and said, this is all your fault. If it weren't for those blasted bran muffins you made me eat every day, I'd be here 10 years ago. (laughs) Why is it, though, when someone tells a story about heaven and they talk about things that you're going to do and things that you're going to eat and places that you're going to live, why do we automatically think it's a joke? Why do we automatically think it's a joke? And there are a lot of great stories out there about heaven. Are there not? But we all believe for some strange reason that they're just made up, make-believe, or designed to make us laugh. But what if the prophets of old, thousands of years ago when talking about heaven, what if Jesus, when talking about the kingdom of God, what if the New Testament writers talking about a new heaven and a new earth, what if when they were describing heaven in very tangible ways, very material ways, what if they weren't joking? What if they weren't telling us a tall tale about heaven? What if they were telling us the truth? That gets me a little excited. I want it to do the same for you. Many people believe that for heaven to be heaven, it just has to be weird, right? Like for heaven to be heaven, it has to be super spiritual, and thus it has to be like nebulous and vague and just kind of strange. It can't be anything like the world that we live in. It can't be anything like the life that we currently have. One guy told me on Easter weekend he grew up crying at night as a little kid because he believed uh, that heaven was going to be a place where you floated around on clouds all day long and had to sing songs nonstop. Well, guess what? He was afraid of heights and couldn't sing a lick. 
He wanted to go, but he didn't want to go to that place. And if it's a similar understanding that you share of heaven, well, I think you're in for a huge surprise. And I think it's going to be a very, very pleasant surprise. We can blame a lot of our weird and misguided thoughts about heaven on Plato. Plato is an ancient philosopher, and back in the day he made famous an understanding called dualism. Dualism is an understanding where only immaterial things are good. Anything that is material, anything you can touch or hold, it's bad. And only immaterial things are good. Your soul, your spirit, those are good. Your body, the world, no, it's all bad. And that that worldview dominated the time, but it also kind of dominates our time. A lot of us still believe it to be true. We believe that the stuff that's all around us, cars, homes, toys, golf clubs, art, clothes, body parts, all of them are finite. All of them are rather fickle, so all of them must be flawed. So God's just going to destroy them all at the end and start over. So we just assume that heaven is this immaterial place where immaterial beings kind of float around in a, in a spiritual existence. But not many of us get all that excited about that prospect, now do we? Immaterial things, what? Immaterial people, how? In a spiritual immaterial place? Yeah, I don't think so. No thanks. That doesn't excite us because it's not true. It's not how it's going to be. But we don't need to put all of the blame on Plato when it comes to our weird thoughts on heaven. A lot of our weird thoughts from heaven or about heaven come from Satan. So doesn't it make sense that Satan would want to spread as many rumors and as many lies about heaven as he could? That's the place he was kicked out of. That's the place he was evicted from. And he hates the fact, he hates the fact that one day, You as a Christian are going to live forever in a place he can never return. He loves to make you think that heaven's going to be weird or stupid or silly or not all that exciting. He loves for you to think that way about heaven because he doesn't want you to go to heaven. You with me? So let's see. If we can't move past what the Greeks said about heaven, they can't move past what Satan wants us to think about heaven. Let's see what God has to say about heaven. I mean, it is his dwelling place. Let's ask him. Last week, I ended our time together by giving you the following definition, kind of a working definition of heaven. A resurrected humanity lives upon a restored earth in the presence of the real Jesus while enjoying intimate communion with the righteous God. That is heaven. And I want to unpack it a little bit for you now. If you weren't here for that message last week, I need you to go back because a lot of things are based on the idea that we really drilled home last week, that God's great plan for this world, God's great purpose and promise is not to wipe everything out, but to make everything new. Very different. It might sound similar, but it's very, very different. Revelation 21.5, he who sits on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Now, again, when we hear him say that, we typically assume he's going to wipe everything out and just start again. God is a frustrated um, inventor whose experiment went haywire, and it's not working properly, so he's just going to trash the whole thing and just do something else, do something new over here. Well, not exactly. Stay with me now. We've got to get into a little Greek here, but I think it will help excite you a little bit. One of the words that the Greeks had for new, because they had multiple terms for the word new, one of those terms was neos. Now, neos means brand new. Never existed before. You've never seen this thing. Brand new, neos, new. You with me? That's the first new. But they had a second term for the word new, and that was kainos. 
Kainos means so much better than the original. Like there was something before, but it's been repurposed. It's been remade. It's not brand new, never seen it before kind of thing, but it's so much better than the first. Now guess what? When Jesus says, I'm making all things new, when all the biblical writers time and time again say there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, guess which word they use? Kainos. They don't talk about it being something brand new you've never imagined before. You can't even fathom. They talk about it being something repurposed, remade, resurrected. It's always kainos. Now, we make the same distinction. You might be like, that's kind of strange. We, different terms for the word new. No, no, we kind of do the same thing, don't we? Ladies, if a contractor spent months and months at your house, you'd probably want to show off their work. And you might say something like, hey, come on over and check out my new kitchen. Oh, you never had a kitchen before? I mean, it's brand new, like never existed? No, 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 no. What do we mean by that? It's so much different and better than the first one. What you knew and what it is now, wow, you could hardly even tell it's the same thing. That's the wording of kainos, and that's the wording of all of Scripture. It's not going to be brand new, never seen it before. It's going to be so much better new, renewed. Now, why is that important? Why do I keep drilling that home? Because God is going to kainos everything, he said. Every particle, every plant, every person, even the planets. He says he's going to resurrect, restore, and reconcile all things. And when the scripture says all things, I believe it to mean all things. So he's going to raise all these things to new life, to kainos life. It's going to be similar to the old, but so much better and so much different, you're not even going to be able to tell now, again, why is this important? Because I want that to excite you. If you have no framework for heaven, disembodied spirit, spirits, spiritual things, nebulous, vague, and weird, you're not going to get all that excited about it. You're not going to think about it. You're not going to long for it. You're not going to fix your thoughts on it. But if heaven, if heaven is the all-you-can-eat buffet line with the chocolate fountain fondue thingy, but only better, but I'm getting excited about heaven. If heaven is just like that sunset over, over the, the snow-capped mountains, if it's just like that but only better, oh, I'm, I'm getting excited about heaven. If heaven is like that, that treasure that I found or that great gift that somebody gave me unexpectedly but only better, if heaven's just like that, now I'm getting excited about heaven. If heaven is like that great feast, that great party, that great city, that great garden, that experience, that adventure that you had but only better, well, now I'm getting excited about heaven. Amen. But if it's just nebulous, spiritual, weird, odd things in no man's land, I'm not getting all that excited about it. Well, that's not how it's going to be at all. It's the kainos of everything. I can't imagine what the kainos of cheesecake is going to be like. I mean, cheesecake in its flawed state is fantastic. You kainos that thing? Come on, God. I love the song that came out a few years ago. I can only imagine. But it's not entirely true. You don't have to just imagine. God told you what it's going to be like. It's going to be like this renewed. This life, this world, this experience, this adventure, this journey renewed, resurrected, made to look so much better and different than you can even imagine. Well, the crazy part about this whole thing, this whole kainos idea that God's going to make everything new, He's going to bring this new, resurrected, renewed life into everything. The craziest thing about it, to me, he's going to start with you. He's going to start with us. He's going to start with our bodies. Let me show you what I mean. 
There are a ton of products out there and some procedures and some programs that all claim they can help create a new you. Right, give me 21 days and we'll create a new you. Or is a certain product you can paste all over your face, it'll create a new you, a new workout regime, a new, new eating schedule, a new you. Well, guess what? There's only one person in this universe who can create a new you. His name's the Lord. He wants to create a new you, and he's going to do that in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5. For we know that when this earthly tent that we live in, when it's taken down, that is when we die and leave our earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh But it's not that we want to die and get rid of bodies, the bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so so that these dying bodies, excuse me, will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he's given us his Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but some of the language that Paul uses there to describe his body describes my body pretty pretty good as well. Uh, Paul says we grow weary. I used to be able to run and play and work out for hours. Now I get winded climbing up these five steps. That's honestly why we have a sermon bumper video, is to give me time to catch my breath before I have to, okay. But we grow weary, do we not? We just can't do as much as we used to do. Paul says in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Yeah, that kind of describes the noises I make the day after I have to work hard out in the yard, right? Anytime I have to do something somewhat physically demanding the previous day, that next day, I'm like, ah, oh, ah, groaning and sighing. Paul calls what we have now dying bodies. I kid you not, I woke up last year with a sprained ankle. Problem was, I didn't go to sleep with a sprained ankle. (laughs) I sprained my ankle while I was sleeping. Like, what kind of dream was that? But that's my dying body. It's getting hurt while I'm not even doing anything. Growing weary, groaning and sighing, dying bodies. We can all relate, can't we? Or we know somebody whose body is just totally given up and given out on them. And I am grateful for the body that I have right now, but I'm growing increasingly frustrated and disappointed with the body that I have right now. And you older folks, you're not much of an encouragement because all you keep saying is, it just gets worse. (laughs) Come on, is that an encouragement at all? But I imagine that most of you are growing increasingly frustrated with this as well. Not with this, with with your this. Well, if I had to look at this every week, I'd be frustrated too. Anyway, well, we're growing increasingly frustrated with the bodies that are giving out, that are growing weary, that are dying, Right? And our current bodies, they are a gift from God, but like everything else, we talked about this last week, they're covered in a curse. They're stained by sin. Like everything else in this world, they're subject to decay. And so they give out, they break, they fall apart. They get sick, ill, weak, worse. They fail us, betray us, and limit us. That's our bodies right now. But guess what? That won't be the case in heaven. Unlike the Greeks used to believe, the physical part of you, your body, it's not bad. It's not bad at all. 
In fact, it's good. It's very good. God made your body in the beginning. And the Bible says you are actually perfectly and wonderfully made. So our hope as Christians is not to be delivered from our bodies. It's to be given new bodies. That's how we want it to be, glorious bodies, godly bodies, bodies that will last and won't break down and won't fall apart. 2 Corinthians 5.2, different translation. Right now we groan because we wish we could have our new body, which we will have in heaven. The Bible says that God paid for your body with the sacrifice of his son's body. And what God owns, he intends to keep and restore forever. We don't know much about these new glorious resurrected bodies that we're going to have. But we do know this, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship, it's in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies, here it is, so that we will be like his glorious body. So we're not given a whole lot of details about what the new resurrected life body will look like, but we are told this, and maybe this is all we need to know. Our new bodies will be like Christ's new body. According to this passage, God's going to do the same thing for you and me that he did for Jesus. He's going to put his body, your body, into the ground, then he's going to raise it up into a new glorious body. He's going to take the seed of who you were, put it in the ground, and then raise it up to a new abundant life. It's going to be a new you, a glorious you, a different you, a better you, but still the same you. And again, it's going to be just like Jesus' body. Your body's going to be just like his. Let me suggest and point out a few things, what that means. Christ's new body was a physical body. After he was raised from the dead, he met with his disciples, and on several occasions he told them, Luke 24, touch me. Touch me to see that I'm real. Can you touch a ghost, he said? No, 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 touch me. It was a very real physical body. Christ's new body required or at least enjoyed food and drink. After his resurrection, he ate with the disciples on several different occasions, Luke 24. Christ's new body had special abilities, he magically appeared in certain rooms, then he disappeared from other rooms. Christ's new body was recognizable to those who knew him. There were a few who didn't notice that it was him at first, but once their eyes were open, they said, it's you, I recognize you, it's Jesus. Christ's new body still had scars from his time on the earth, but those scars were transformed into beauty marks. The things that were so shameful in this life were transformed into glorious things in the next life. His hands, his side, his feet, they were beauty marks. They were what made him so, so beautiful. Take, 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 take that in. Take all of that in. Your body is going to be like that body. It's going to be physical. You will need or enjoy food and drink. Yes, coffee's on the list. You most likely will not only have the five senses we currently have, you will have extra senses and abilities. And the senses we have now will probably be magnified. We can't see ultraviolet light. Maybe then we can. Our bodies will be recognizable to others. You will know people in heaven. You'll be able to see them for who they were, who they are. And all the things that brought you pain on this life, on this earth, all the things that scarred you, will be transformed into beauty marks on the other side. They'll all be these glorious markers. It's like, oh, it's so pretty. That's you. That's you. That's how our bodies will be. 
So you see why Paul longed for the new body? You see why he's like, please take this off of me and put on the new body because it's going to be just like Jesus' body. Now, I know there are a lot of questions out there about our resurrected bodies. Let me answer a couple of those now. Question number one I hear a lot. What age will our resurrected bodies be? How old are we going to be in heaven? Well, we don't know for sure. Some think we're going to be around the age of 20 or 30 because that is the age that scientists believe we are at peak physical performance here on the earth. Some believe along those lines we will be the age of Jesus. We'll all be resurrected at age 33. Others believe that we will be resurrected at the age we were when we brought the most glory to God on this earth. So you better start now. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, yeah. We don't know for sure, but I think it's super exciting to think about this stuff. I, I get super amped up, and, and I start to laugh and, and smile. I think we will continue to grow and mature and develop in heaven. We're not going to stay static. We're not going to stay the same age. And I think that children who died and went to heaven, they won't live as children forever in heaven. I think we're going to be able to watch children that were killed, children that were lost to us, children that were aborted. We're going to be able to watch them and walk alongside of them as they develop into all God wanted them to become. It's the reconciliation and restoration of all things, even that loss. You lost something when you buried your kid. Guess what? That will be redeemed, and you will get to see that child mature and develop. All right, how about this question? Well, what about cremation, Pastor? Can he raise me if I'm cremated? Well, the short answer is, of course he can. God originally created us out of the dust of the earth, and I'm pretty confident he has the same ability still. Plus, raising up those who have no bodies anymore, he's going to have to do that for all of the martyrs throughout all of time. Right? Those who have been burned at the stake, those who have been lost at sea, those who have been beheaded and had their body parts thrown around different countries. God will have to raise them up in a different way. Plus, the scripture makes it clear, out of the ashes, our ashes, it says, God makes beautiful things. So I'm not worried about cremation at all. If you're in the ground long enough, you'll become dust again. And God will raise you up out of the dust and out of the ashes. I know there are other questions, like, okay, well, what about people right now? What happens when you die right now? And, and this, that, and the other. We're going to have a special Q&A, couple of weeks. We'll talk about all those things then. But I want you to trust, I want you to believe, I want you to know right now, the new you will be far better than you can even imagine. The new resurrected, glorified you, the new glorified body that you will have, wow, it's going to be something. So Paul is excited about our resurrection because of our new bodies. But he's excited about our resurrection for another reason as well. Let me show you Romans 8. All of creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all of creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth up to the present time. All right, think back now with me to last week, but also to the beginning of the scriptures as a whole. In the garden, when humanity fell into sin and shame, when they recovered in condemnation and curse, we learn that when we fell, we brought creation down with us. All right, some people can bring down the house. Well, we brought down the world. We brought down everything in all of creation. 
I mean, think about that. The earth in the garden at the beginning, the earth didn't do anything wrong. The earth didn't disobey. The earth didn't dishonor their Lord. Humanity did. But when we were punished, all of earth was punished alongside of us. It was subjected to its own form of decay. And so Paul is telling us here in Romans 8 that creation is eagerly awaiting the day when you become a true son of God, when you are raised to new life. Creation is waiting for the day when you go to heaven because then it will be raised to new life as well. You see, we have always been inextricably connected to creation for good and for bad. And thus far, it's almost been all for bad. But there will come a day when we are raised, that creation is right behind us saying, awesome! Finally, against our will, we were punished with you, but now we've been longing, we're going to be raised with you. You see that? That's amazing, is it not? It says creation is crying out right now in the pains of childbirth, like a woman in childbirth. Why? Because it is painful. That process is excruciatingly painful, but it's also super hopeful. It's also super exciting because new life is going to come. Why would creation cry out like a woman in childbirth if it's going to be destroyed? Why would creation cry out as if, the, as if a woman in childbirth, if annihilation is its final destiny? That's not the cry of hope. That's the cry of execution. This is the cry of resurrection. So it's like, please, Lord Jesus, resurrect humanity, creation is saying, so that we can be resurrected as well. So we're going to be overjoyed when Jesus comes back because we're going to get a new body. But creation is going to be just as excited. It's going to become new as well. But wait a second here. You might say, isn't there some verse in the scripture that talks about everything being destroyed with fire and it's all going to be consumed and annihilated and blah, blah, blah? The answer is no. No, it just doesn't, doesn't say that. 2 Peter 3, 9. Let me read it for you. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. All right, so Peter does say that certain things will be destroyed at the end. But he actually never says earth will be destroyed. And more than that, the word that he uses here for destruction is the same exact language used at the flood. When it says the earth at that time was destroyed with water. It wasn't annihilated with water. It didn't cease to exist because of the water. It was cleansed. It was purified as a result of the water. The same will be true at the end. God is going to come down with fire this time and just cleanse this place. Clean this place. Well, what does that mean? Well, certain things aren't going to need to be around anymore, right? I mean, we're not going to need prisons, hospitals, courtrooms, cemeteries. We're not going to even need churches for that matter. So he's going to come down with fire and he's going to purify this place. That's what that passage is talking about. Not destroying it completely out of anger and frustration. Okay, you with me so far? You tracking? Ish? Okay, here we go. One final little bomb that I want to drop on you this morning and then we'll call it a day. When we talk about heaven, we almost always talk about going up to heaven, don't we? And there's, there's reasons for that justifiable reasons. In fact, the scripture talks about meeting the Lord in the clouds on several different occasions. But it's very clear as you look through all of scripture, we don't go up to heaven. Heaven is going to come down to us. See, in the biblical writers, especially John in the book of Revelation, when they describe what happens at the end when God does this whole kainos to everything, it's all about God and heaven and the kingdom 
coming down to where we are. The new city comes down from heaven. God descends out of heaven. The new heavens and the earth come out of the sky and create a new earth. So here's kind of the timeline. Here I understand how things are going to work out. God is going to raise his people to new life. He's going to kinos us, resurrect us in a glorious new way. Then he's going to purge and cleanse this world and make it the perfect dwelling place. And after that, all of us are going to come down and live on it together. Heaven and earth become one. That's why it says the heavens will disappear. There won't be an up there and a down here anymore. There'll just be a here. And God will be a part of that. You with me? So he raises us to a new life. He cleanses and restores the entire earth. He makes it just right. And then all of us come back down and we live on this place together. And that, that great union, that great moment, when we all meet, when we all come together, the Bible uses this analogy of a wedding. This amazing wedding feast, wedding banquet, wedding ceremony. Time and time again, it's the wedding of God and his people. And so we're going to talk next week about this wedding. Oh, it's a, you don't want to miss this thing. The people you're going to see, the things that are going to be a part of that celebration, this is going to be the most amazing wedding you've ever been a part of. So we'll talk about the wedding and the angels and the animals and the food and the people and all the stuff that we're going to see at the wedding. Right, let me pray that over you and hope that just a few things stick. God, a lot of us have some strange thoughts out there when it comes to heaven. And many of us maybe don't have a whole lot of concrete thoughts when it comes to heaven. And so that's something we want to remedy now, God. We want to fix our eyes and set our minds on heaven. And we believe that it's a very real place. We also believe that it's a corporeal place, that it's tangible, that it's material. In fact, Lord, if we're honest, we're sitting on heaven right now because this earth will be cleansed. We will be cleansed and you will come to us. That's who you are. It's what you've always done. You initiated creation. You initiated the incarnation. You initiated the cross. You have always come to us. And that will be true yet again. You will come to us at the end and we'll finally be able and ready to receive you in a way that honors you. So help us to long for it now. Help us to long for new bodies. Help us to long for a new earth and help us to long for the day when you come to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you guys. Hope you have an amazing week and a great afternoon. Be strong and courageous. God bless. <laughs>